Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much prospered as no other people on earth it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We are underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on AM 1420. The answer. It's a Friday, and it's a modified free for all Friday. And by modified, I mean not really free for all because I have a ton of guests today. We're going to be very busy, and that's okay. I apologize not because we do have do have some important people to talk to coming up. When's the last time you heard anybody mention ISIS? When's the last time you heard anybody talking about radical Islam? Is it just totally gone now? Um, if you think that it is, you're not mis- you're 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 not paying attention, and you are sorely mistaken. And I'm not talking about ISIS specifically, the group, but radical Islam, radical jihad. These things are still a great threat to the United States of America. And coming up in about uh, half an hour, we're going to talk to Robert Spencer. Robert Spencer is one of the most learned um, uh, men, really, in the world, quite frankly, on the history of jihad, the history of Islam, and now he's got a new book out, questioning whether or not the Prophet Muhammad ever actually existed. We're going to talk to him about that. We're going to talk to him about the continuing threat of uh, radical Islam against the West and against particularly the United States. So that's at 9.35. Then at 10.10, Claire Lopez makes a return. We haven't talked to Claire in a while. Claire Lopez is going to be the guest speaker at Madonna County Friends and Neighbors tomorrow. She's talking to them about critical race theory and the dangers of it in the classrooms here in uh, the United States as well. So that's coming up at 10.10. And then at 10.35, again, as it's Friday, Christina Hagan will be by with political commentary on all of the biggest issues of the day. So before we get started with the news of the day, and by the way, I always say this, I'll say it again now, pick your spots, right? You got to pick your spots. We Willie Keeler is one of the one of the great nicknames, first of all, in the history of Major League Baseball, and he was one of the best hitters, too. He is uh, credited with the famous saying about the best approach to hitting is to keep your eye on the ball and hit them where they ain't. 
And that's such a great, that's it. You hit him, hit the ball where fielders ain't. And that's how you get base hits. I'm using that as my analogy. Pick your spots and call when they ain't. When I don't have a guest on the line, call then and do it immediately, and we will. You'll find a way to get your your spot on base here, or uh, to finish my analogy here on the air. So uh, pick your spots, keep your eye on the phone, and dial when they ain't. So before, between, and after the interviews that I just mentioned, you can dial two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Just hit them where they ain't. That's the way you do it. Uh, now let's start our program uh, with our pledge of allegiance. Patriots, please stand. Put your hand on your heart. Face your flag if you have one nearby. Leftists, go ahead and take your knee like the U.S. Olympic soccer team, and we'll boo you just like we will boo them. And I can't hear my pledge of allegiance. Let's try this one more time. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all you know I have uh, a couple of friends uh, online friends but they're friends in real life too but uh, online they're making their comments about how how can you say you won't support the U.S. Women's Olympic Soccer Team. They claim their argument is that, you know, I don't like them because of their anti-American attitudes. Well, am I not also being anti-American by rooting against them as Americans? That's their question, or that's their their argument. That's their their platform. If you root against an American athlete because that athlete is anti-American, you are anti-American. And I don't see it that way. I see it mathematically. I see two negatives as a positive. If I root against somebody who is rooting against my flag, I am therefore rooting for my flag. Right? A negative plus a negative. (coughs) Sorry about that. Excuse me. A negative plus a negative is a positive in mathematics. And guess what? It is in real life as well. If I root against somebody who is against everything that I stand for in my country, then I am indeed rooting for that which I stand for in my country, or that for which I stand. So that's my, my thought on this. Um, I got, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> let me read a, a quick one from a Facebook friend of mine who is also in the radio business, but not in this state, but he's a Facebook friend of mine, and I, I, I have respect for him, I do. But here, here was his post uh, yesterday with respect to the start of the Olympics, which is today. He posted, if you complain about athletes disrespecting the flag and then root for those same athletes to lose or express, express happiness with that they lost, you're doing it wrong. I just simply could not disagree with more vigor. If I root against somebody who is against my flag, especially while they're wearing it, then I am indeed showing support for my flag. And this is how I feel about the uh, the U.S. Uh, Olympians, including the soccer players, uh, the women's soccer players, uh, the hammer thrower Gwen Barry, the BMX freestyle bicyclist or whatever he is, or uh, is it a he? I can't remember if it's a he who thinks he's a she or it's a she who thinks he's a, uh, a he. Either way, they threatened to burn the American flag on the medal stand if they meddled at the Olympics. I feel like if I root against those people, I'm rooting for my country because those people are against my country. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. 
There's a lot of different ways to look at this and to analogize this. But um, the bottom line is I am not going to support uh, Olympic athletes Olympic athletes simply because they're wearing USA if they despise the fact that they're wearing USA. That's just the way that I see it. As a matter of fact, I put it this way. And tell me if you agree. In 1936, we loved Jesse Owens. Now, I wasn't alive in 1936, but I mean, I just historically. We loved Jesse Owens for showing up Hitler at the Olympics in 1936. Why? Because we hated Hitler and the Nazis. We loved the U.S. Olympic hockey team for beating the Soviets in 1980. Why? Because we hated the communists. So how are we supposed to love the U.S. women's soccer team in 2021 when their hatred is for America? We loved when American athletes beat down the Nazis. We loved when American athletes beat down the communists. How can we love American athletes if their goal is to beat down America? Just doesn't seem doesn't seem uh, possible to me. Doesn't seem responsible to me. Doesn't seem. I, I just can't wrap my brain around it. Quite frankly, how can you support somebody who doesn't support the country in which you live and the country in which they have been given the freedom and the opportunity to achieve what they have? I hope they lose every. I do. Do you want to see Megan Rapino and her crew? on the medal stand, kneeling during the national anthem as they are presented with their gold medal? Do you want to see them turn their back on it? Do you want to see Gwen Berry, the hammer thrower, who said she doesn't know what she's going to do? She said nobody in America is actually, no black people or brown people are really free. And what she does, she does for, quote, her people. Apparently her people aren't Americans. Her people are just people who look like her. That makes her a racist. That makes her discriminatory. Do I want her racist discriminatory behind standing on the metal uh, metal stand while the U.S. national anthem is playing and having her turn her back to the American flag, holding her head down, hands on her hips, angry that the anthem is playing and that her flag is flying? Do I want that? No. I would rather send... 500 Olympic athletes, American Olympic athletes, to Tokyo that are the worst athletes in their, uh, in their respective um, uh, events. If they were 500 patriots, rather than the 500 best athletes in the world to go and stand there in a foreign country and denigrate my flag and my anthem. I'd rather lose every single match, every race, Every competition, I'd rather lose every one of them with a patriot doing his best or her best than I would rather have or than I would uh, uh, have the best in the world go there and embarrass the United States with their behavior and with their anti-American attitudes. Since I'm doing the sports thing here as it pertains to politics, uh, let me move over to the National Football League for a moment. The National Football League, I don't know if you have followed this has made an announcement. Last year, in the in the year of COVID, if there were games that couldn't be played because of a, an outbreak of COVID-19 on a particular team's roster, they rescheduled the game. Right? We saw this happen uh, several times last year. This year, the NFL says no more rescheduled games, or if we can't reschedule it reasonably, the team that has the outbreak of COVID among unvaccinated players will forfeit the game. It will go as a loss in the loss column, 
the win-loss column, and the players, not just the, the, uh, the uh, uh, infected players, but all of the players on that team will lose their game checks. So they won't get paid for that game. This is a blatant attempt to try to force the National Football League Players Association, the union, to make every single member of each of these teams get vaccinated. Threatening them with lost wages, threatening them with losses in standings as it pertains to playoff pushes, and so on and so forth. And to my great surprise, and to my to my pride, I guess, to my to my happiness, several star NFL players are telling the NFL to go to hell. Some of them are threatening to retire from the league over this. DeAndre Hopkins is one of the probably three best wide receivers in the National Football League. Tremendous player. Now, he's not necessarily what I would call a beacon of virtue for a number of things. He has had his moments calling America racist and so on and so forth, protesting police and these sorts of things like so many others. But in this case, he has stood up and said that this forced vaccination policy by the league is forcing him to consider leaving his career behind. Quote, never thought I would say this, but being put in a position to hurt my team because I don't want to partake in this vaccine is making me question my future in the NFL. That's that's a hammer being dropped on the National Football League. This is one of the biggest and best stars in the league saying, this has me questioning whether I want to stay anymore. Another pro, uh, uh, all-pro player, all-pro quarterback Jalen Ramsey followed Hopkins' message and said something similar. Then tweeted, some of y'all clearly don't get what I'm saying here. The NFL is pressuring slash influencing guys to get the vaccine. They are saying if there is an outbreak, the team will be penalized heavily. My point is no teammate of mine will feel the pressure from me because whether you are vaccinated or not, there's still a chance of getting COVID. I thought my point was simple, but I guess not, LOL. Just because my teammate personally decides not to get the vaccine, I won't think they're a bad teammate, he said in another tweet. The NFL is the NFL players rather here are taking a very, very courageous stand they're saying i'll put my career on the line before i will give up my medical freedom before i'll give up my right to making my own health decisions i'm not going to do this just because the league is threatening to fine our team or to punish us in the standings i'm not going to do what i don't believe is right these are some of the biggest names in the league bernard hopkins jalen ramsey here's another one leonard fournette running back on the defending super bowl champions Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He spoke out against this tweeting very simply, vaccine, I can't do it. Now, he deleted that post because he doesn't want to get in trouble, but clearly he's making his feelings known. He doesn't want the vaccine either. And there's a good reason, because as Hop- or not Hopkins, Ramsey said, there are tons of people who have already gotten the vaccine are still getting COVID after the vaccine, including a bunch of the Texas legislature Democrats who went to Washington, D.C. to avoid staying home for a vote uh, in uh, Austin, Texas, for the um, uh, voter integrity law. 
They went, they're all vaccinated, they all got on a plane, unmasked, flew to D.C., and about 10 of them have come down with COVID-19 and infected several of Nancy Pelosi's staff. These are all vaccinated people. So clearly vaccines are not the panacea, they're not the foolproof, be-all, end-all answer. And yet that's what the league is trying to do, threaten them with fines and loss of games in the standings if they don't get vaccinated. Meanwhile, Cole Beasley, wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, who was kind of the OG, he was the original uh, guy to, cl- uh, to uh, proclaim he is not going to take this vaccine, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care what anybody else says. He said, the Players Association is a joke. Call it something different, but it's not for the players. Everyone gives me this 98% of the people who are vaccinated don't get COVID again. Well, the odds of me being in the NFL and playing for 10 years are lower than that, and I'm here. In other words, the chances of me getting COVID and getting sick from it are, are, are not worth me uh, taking this vaccine when I don't know what it's going to do. All right, let me take a time out here. It's 923. If you want to get in, as I said before, between and after, pick your spots and hit them where they ain't on AM 1420, The Answer. It's a Okay, 927. Excuse me, let's get a couple of calls in here. Ralph is in Cleveland. Ralph, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, do these guys have a chance in court somewhere? What guys? Uh, the guys were basically being forced to uh, take the vaccination. Oh, you mean the NFL guys? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I don't know if any of them have threatened to file a lawsuit or not. I would hope they do, and I and I would think that they would. Uh, but again, this is the uh, imposition of the league. I don't know if the Players Association could sue to stop that, because I don't think that's part of the collective bargaining agreement, or at least I wouldn't imagine it is. So there may be something the Players Association could do on behalf of those players who do not want to get vaccinated. But uh, as of, you know, this news literally just broke yesterday, what the new uh, policy was going to be. So I haven't seen if there are any legal uh, recourses being sought thus far. Are the stats correct that the uh, African-American community are the lowest in taking the vaccine? I believe so, yeah. I've seen that in a number oh. of different places, yeah. They're opening up a can of worms here. They are. Yeah, absolutely they are. And, you know, the African-American community has the best case of all of us, of one, you know, being a little bit skeptical about what they're taking after what happened with the, um, uh, with the, uh, Tuskegee, uh, uh, situation, the syphilis studies. They were, they were told they were being injected with, uh, an inoculation, uh, to stop from syphilis and they weren't. They were basically a control group without being told and, uh, they ended up getting very, very sick. A lot of these people, they were used as guinea pigs. So they're, they're very skeptical about whether or not, um, uh, you know, whether or not they should take these things, and I have a right to be. And that's why it's all of their body, their choice, my body, my choice, your body, your choice. Absolutely. This could really boomerang on them. Uh, I hope it does. The NFL, yeah. is, the NFL is warping into some woke, disgusting league. They're promoting all kinds of nonsense that have nothing to do with football, and now with this, they're threatening people's, uh, you know, jobs um, over their own medical liberty, over their own maybe, uh, maybe BLM will Maybe BLM will protest this. Yeah, well, I hope they do for a change. I hope they do and do something positive here. But, you know, it shouldn't be BLM. It should just be all people who believe in medical freedom. I don't care what color you are. Uh, but it Absolutely. Thank you, I Ralph. I appreciate it, my friend. Let me go to Carol in Kirtland. Hi, Carol. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, I'm 
I my suggestion is, and I know the uh, uh, Olympic committee won't do this, but if a non-American patriot is on the medal stand, don't drop the flag and don't play the national anthem and let them stand there in silence. Well, uh, thank you for the call, Carol. You know, there there has to be something that is done if they embarrass their country like this. Uh, but, you know... I, to be honest with you, they don't. They don't. Re- they don't represent my country, and they don't represent me. If that's their attitude toward the anthem, so I don't think they should be there. Quite frankly, I think the better answer than dealing with it in that way is don't let them go. I mean, seriously, make every U.S. Olympic athlete who makes the team sign uh, a contract that says they will do nothing to disparage the country, the flag, or the anthem while they are in their competition, before the competition, or after the competition. And if they violate that, then that contract says that they have to pay a fine of $500,000. Make them sign something to guarantee that they will, they will show pride in their country rather than disrespecting it. We'll take a time out now for news. We'll talk to Robert Spencer on the other side, AM 1420, The Answer. where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 935. We continue on this free-for-all Friday. Don't forget, we got Claire Lopez coming up at the top of the hour. We're going to talk to uh, Christina Hagen at the bottom of the hour. But now I want to bring in a guest uh, that I always enjoy ta- enjoy talking to, with and to. And uh, it's been quite a while since we've had Robert Spencer on our program, so it's so good to bring him back. Robert Spencer is the best-selling author of The History of Jihad, among others, <clears throat> The Palestinian Delusion. And his latest book is Did Mohammed Exist? An Inquiry into Islam's Obscure Origins. Robert Spencer, it's good to have you back. How are you, sir? Just great, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well. If I uh, could stop choking, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm having a little bit of a problem here. Uh, but I'm doing great, and it's good to have you back. You know, I, I mentioned to my audience at the top of the show, it's been a long time since anybody has uh, uttered the word ISIS. Uh, and in fact, quite a while since anybody really has talked about radical Islam or radical Islamic jihad or radical Islamic terrorism, because largely President Trump did a tremendous job of dealing with that, wiping out ISIS and most of the uh, key players um, during his four years in office. But it doesn't mean that the threat of radical Islam is gone. I want you to talk about that, and then we'll talk about the subject of your book about whether or not Muhammad existed. But where are we right now in the what I think is a forever war, a forever battle anyway, against radical Islam and their goals? It's very much a forever war, Bob, because the jihadis believe that they're fighting a forever war, a 1,400-year conflict. They're going to pass it on to their sons, their grandsons, and so on. Uh, the uh, West, the Biden administration, the uh, establishment media, they've all decided that it's all over, that the real threat now is, in terms of terrorism is, uh, of course, white supremacists, by which they generally mean anyone who opposes the left agenda. But the jihadis have not gotten the memo. Uh, and as a matter of fact, ISIS is resurgent. They have uh, now control, they have now gained control 
of 10 villages in Iraq. They're gaining uh, power in Iraq again uh, after Trump drove them out. Now Trump's gone, and so they're coming back. They have also spread into Africa and taken control of a section of northern Mozambique near a very valuable oil field, and they are active in Nigeria and elsewhere. And so the uh, jihad threat is something we're going to be hearing about for the foreseeable future, especially, as a matter of fact, because our authorities have decided it's over, they're asleep at the wheel, they're not paying attention to it as it advances, and uh, they probably won't until it's impossible to ignore. You know, as long as we're on the subject of the resurgence or the reformation of ISIS in all of the locations you just brought up, it's probably worth asking you about your opinion on the um, uh, the decision to remove our troops from Afghanistan, too. Um, this is a, an odd one because... It's a bipartisan kind of decision here. President Trump, before he left office, said he wanted to bring everybody home from Afghanistan. He said 20 years is enough of that war. Uh, Joe Biden is up the um, timetable. It's going to be next month that everybody comes home from Afghanistan. And already the Taliban is reestablishing control. Already some of the other forces uh, of radical Islam in Afghanistan are, you know, tormenting and torturing their own people as well. So, were, is this the right to, the, the right decision, Robert Spencer, to remove our troops from Afghanistan? Yeah, I uh, actually totally agree with the decision to remove our troops from Afghanistan, but totally disagree with the way that Biden's handlers have done it. Uh, I think that it's virtually assured that if Trump had had a free hand, which, of course, was not certain because of the military being part of the deep state and against him and so on, but if he had been able to do it the way he wanted, in the first place, we wouldn't have announced some deadline where we were going to be gone, which just uh, gives the jihadis a chance to regroup and be patient and hang on and so on. Uh, wouldn't have left our allies in the lurch and all the things that the uh, Biden administration is doing now. The uh, thing is, though, that the main thing we need to do is make sure that the jihadis can't export their jihad out of Afghanistan again, as they did most famously on September 11, 2001. That's why we got into Afghanistan in the first place. And the Bush administration had this idea that they were going to make Afghanistan into a Western-style secular republic. That was based on a fundamental misunderstanding of Islam, of Islamic law as a political thing, and of the hold of Islamic law over the people of Afghanistan. And so it was doomed to failure from the start. And really, it's not our within our power, and it's not our responsibility to make sure that Afghanistan has good government. It is our uh, it should be the responsibility of the American government, as it was as President Trump tried to make it again, uh, to protect Americans, to put America first. And an America first policy toward Afghanistan would be get our troops out and make sure that the place is contained, that the jihadis can't come here again and mount another terror attack. That's the extent of our responsibility there. How, how would that containment be achieved, though, unless we have somebody there? Well, I don't think we have to have people on the ground to do that. I think that we need to have people in the, in the vicinity, uh, forces that can destroy any kind of training camp that, uh, start, that are established again, and very close eyes, very careful scrutiny on travel out of Afghanistan and into Afghanistan. The Islamic Republic of Iran spirited the 9-11 hijackers into Afghanistan for training. 
this is little known and helps them get out again. Of course, uh, uh, what we need is a Trump-style travel ban on uh, people coming into the country from Afghanistan. Obviously, exceptions can be made for people who can be genuinely determined to have aided American forces there and so on. But otherwise, um, to bring in people from a jihadi hotspot when the U.S. government is committed to pretending that there's no jihad at all, it's just suicidal. And uh, if we were to seal that off, then a lot of the problem would be solved. Um, one more thought on this. We're talking with Robert Spencer. He is uh, a best-selling author. He is also an expert on virtually all things Islam. Uh, he has led seminars on radical Islam for the FBI, U.S. Central Command, U.S. Army Command, General Staff College, and more. So nobody knows more about this than uh, than Robert Spencer does. Um, you, you talk about trying to contain and, and keeping people in areas around, not necessarily on the ground in Afghanistan, um, and I don't disagree with that. Um, is the Biden administration taking the same approach that the Obama administration did? Of course, he worked under Obama, or is, are there differences and nuances between them? The one thing I remember being very specific about the Obama administration is not just our policy on foreign territory toward radical Islam, but Obama welcomed a lot of very dangerous people, Islamists, and quite frankly, jihadists, to have very influential positions within the U.S. government. Is Biden doing that on the down low, something kind of out of, uh, out of sight? Or, uh, like I said, are there differences between his and Obama's policies? I don't think there's any significant difference. Uh, the uh, Biden administration is committed to putting Muslims into every uh, area of American government, this is a promise that Biden made during the campaign. He made it in uh, a talk to the uh, talk that he gave to a Muslim Brotherhood group, and so uh, that's an extremely ominous thing because it uh, essentially signals that Muslim Brotherhood-linked people are going to be appointed to these positions. He has already done this to a great degree. Uh, there are numerous. Muslim Brotherhood-linked authorities now in the, Biden, in the Biden administration, and that's likely to continue. This is uh, very clearly a constituency that Biden's handlers want to please and keep happy, and there is absolutely zero attention paid to the possibility that these people might be infiltrators with malign intentions, despite the fact that the Brotherhood's stated goal is to subvert non-Muslim governments and impose Sharia, and that these groups do have demonstrable ties to the Brotherhood. Yeah, so I, I believe every word you just said, it's just kind of interesting. It's not being talked about. There were people all over this during the Obama administration knowing it, but uh, under Biden, I guess because of all of the other you know, scandals and issues that are going on, perhaps related to pandemics and other things, nobody's paying attention to this part of uh, his policy. We're talking to Robert Spencer. Robert, let's talk about your book. Now, obviously, Islam uh, is Islamists or Muslims all all over the world probably consider even the title, even the question to be blasphemous. Uh, but your book is about whether or not Muhammad existed. Did Muhammad exist? An inquiry into Islam's obscure origins. So you're suggesting that there was no person, no human being who actually is credited as, as being the prophet Muhammad, which uh, essentially you know started the, the the Islamic faith. That it was all a myth, all a creation, all some some writer's fantasy. What are we saying here? Yeah, that's essentially it. 
there may have been a person named Muhammad. He may even have done some of the things that are attributed to him in Islamic tradition. But those Islamic traditions that give us so much detail about Muhammad's life come from 200 years after he's supposed to have lived. And at the time that he lived, and in the 50 to 60 years after he died, there is nothing about him. Nothing. There are a couple of scant mentions of the name Muhammad, but even there, the details that go along with those mentions do not correspond to what Islamic tradition tells us that Muhammad was like. And so it seems likely that uh, in view of this incredible absence and the number of other things that I discuss in the book, that Muhammad is indeed, as we know him, more legend than historical fact. Why, if they were going to invent a prophet um, around which to base a faith, uh, particularly a faith that is bent on world domination, uh, they would think that they would want the prophet to be squeaky clean, uh, perfect, as it were. Why would they include the history of Muhammad that they do then about him being a rapist, uh, you know, uh, sleeping with scores and scores of young, uh, young girls, young virgins and so forth, um, committing some of the brutal and barbaric acts that he did as a military leader, as a, you know, as a general uh, in 17th, uh, 7th century Arabia? Why, why would they have given him the flaws if they wanted to just invent somebody that is uh, to rally around? Well, you know, Bob, this is the really fascinating part of it. As far as they were concerned, those weren't flaws. They were an aspect, they were aspects of him being perfect because the people who created the Muhammad legend were warriors who went out into battle and they would capture the wives of the people they had killed and rape them and so on. And so they created a sanctified image of themselves and gave it all the uh, uh, the illusion of being approved by God. And so it's really just sort of a religion in their own image. The uh, most likely scenario for the creation of Islam is that it was actually created by the uh, leaders who were warriors of the Arab Empire that uh, had gained a tremendous amount of territory in the, in the 600s and early 700s, and in those days, there were no parliaments, no constitution. A religion is what bound a great empire together. So they created a religion to bind their empire together. And because they were warriors, they made their uh, faith one that valued warfare, that taught warfare, and glorified violence. Robert Spencer, it sounds like you've decided this, that through your research, um, your, your, your question in your title really should be a declarative statement. Instead of, did Muhammad exist, it should be, Muhammad didn't exist. Is that, is that essentially what you've come to? Well, yeah, uh, essentially, um, like I say, there may have been somebody named Muhammad, but there's just no historical evidence that he did the things that we're told that he did in Islamic tradition. Uh, you look for the Muhammad that we hear about in the stories that circulate in the ninth century, you look for him in the seventh century, there's nothing. That's fascinating. That is absolutely fascinating. And it's, you know, I mean, well, compare and contrast that. When was the New Testament or most of the books of the New Testament written about Jesus? That's a very important contrast, Bob, and it helps to make this clear. Uh, Jesus is supposed to have died and risen from the dead in the, uh, around the year 30 or 33. You take 60 years after that, by 90 or 93, you have churches all over the Middle East and Southern Europe 
you have uh, the New Testament written, all of it, and uh, people are hearing about Christianity, talking about Christianity, and so on. Now, you take the Muhammad is supposed to have died in 632. So you go to 692, same 60-year period, and you have the Arabs bursting out of Arabia, conquering North Africa, the Middle East, and Iran. But no mention of Muhammad, no mention of Islam, no mention of the Quran. Nobody calls them Muslims. The mosques don't even teach the Quran. There's this very strange story from the early 700s of an old man saying it wasn't until around this time that we started reading the Quran and mosques. Why? If Muhammad put it to, got it all by 632, and according to Islamic tradition, it was collected together and distributed to all the Islamic areas in the year 653, then why weren't they reading it for another 50 years? That is a fascinating question and a fascinating comparison. The analogy again to Jesus, uh, you know, his church is being built in the 60 years after his death. That is a very, very great point. Uh, it sounds like a fascinating read. Whether or not you have a, an opinion on Islam or not, the, the historical accuracy of the tale is, is what I think people should, would be very interested in. I know I am. The book is called Did Muhammad Exist? An Inquiry into Islam's Obscure Origins by Robert Spencer. Robert, really great to catch up with you again. Keep Keep up the great work, and thank you so much for the time. You too, Bob. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. All right, 951, we'll take a time out here. Remember I told you to hit them where they ain't? Well, they ain't here. I've got an open segment for calls right now, 216-901-0945. We'll be back. Okay, 9.55, I'll get to some phone calls here real quick, but breaking news, it's official. The Cleveland Indians will be, starting in 2022, the Cleveland Guardians. The organization announced in December it would be changing the name for the first time since 1915, after years of controversy and recent pressure from Major League Baseball. Let's just be honest and say what it is. They're changing their name because George Floyd died. That's it. Understand that. The Indians had to change their name because George Floyd died. Because that meant racial injustice everywhere. George Floyd's death, even though there was no mention of race in the trial of Derek Chauvin, George Floyd died under the knee of George Chauvin, or Derek Chauvin, rather, And that means anything and everything that has ever been questioned about race or ethnicity or offensiveness must go. So the Cleveland Indians are now the Cleveland Guardians, or will be, in 2022. If you want to react to that, I will take your phone calls. First, we'll go to Jeff in Strongsville. Hey, Jeff, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Oh, good morning, Bob. Boy, that's just so so sad to hear that. It is. You know, that, that changing their name after 105 years... Anyway, hey, look, uh, our GOP in Strasbourg, obviously, we're very active. Uh, we're going to have boots on the ground tomorrow at, in Strasbourg at our uh, Strasbourg uh, Rec Center, located off of uh, Relton Road behind Target on Route 82 there. We'll be there from 10 till 12 uh, with petitions uh, to be signed. And these petitions, Bob, these are related to a charter amendment 
for voter integrity here in Stroudsville, as you know, um, our currently our councilmen that are in, in Strongsville, uh, if someone passes away, resigns, quits, moves, our council selects who the next replacement's going to be, and we want to change that. We want to put that back into the voters' hands to maintain integrity. And the voters are very up with that, and they want they want to get involved in this. So it gives them an opportunity here. Come and sign this petition. As long as you're a registered voter in Strongsville, um, you can sign this thing, and we can make that change. But we need to do it before August 3rd, and we need 2,000 signatures. Uh, where can people sign? Where are signatures being circulated? Uh, they'll be circulated at the, the Strongsville Rec Center on uh, right off of Royalton Road tomorrow at 10 o'clock. It's behind Target on off of 82. Yep. Or we'll have boots on, boots on the ground this weekend knocking on doors uh, to that, get those signatures. That's what I – any other public locations? You know, can you set up shop outside a grocery store? Does anything like that or just the one public location you mentioned? Uh, that would be – right now, that's the only one that we selected. Everybody's familiar with it. A okay. lot of people use it, so we figured that's a great that's a great starting point. It is indeed. It is indeed, and I hope you get plenty of volunteers to go door-to-door and get as many uh, you know, signatures as you need. Jeff, I appreciate the information. Thanks for letting us all know. Hopefully the people will come out there in Strongsville tomorrow. Uh, Derek in Richfield, you're up. Derek, go ahead. Hey, good morning. Thank you for taking my call, Bob. Um, Certainly. I called, about, I called about the Second Amendment, but real quick, you know, I'm renaming the Cleveland Indians. It kind of reminds me of, um, you know, it's a land of lakes butter. You know, by removing that image of the Native American woman, um, just it, that was to me. It was celebrating our interesting history that we have here in North America, and that's just erasing it. It's, it was never meant to be offensive or making fun of those people. It was just celebrating an iconic image that was part of this country. But um, so but the main reason I call the Second Amendment was listening to Joe Biden talking about gun control, and you know we know the examples. Um, especially under the Obama administration, you know, um, uh, attacking uh, the, the Second Amendment more by stealth. You know, Eric Holder, they had Operation Choke Point, you know, um, cutting, uh, cutting off financial institutions, dealing with firearms manufacturers and sales. Um, and, uh, you know, you had others, even the EPA uh, closing down the last lead smelting plant. You had California banning lead ammunition in the state. Do you think that the attack on the Second Amendment is going to continue by stealth, or do you think there will ever be, uh, is it possible that there's ever going to be, like, outright confiscation? Well, I would never call that impossible. I think, you know, a lot of people believe, and thank you for the phone call, Derek, a lot of people believe that the door-to-door, uh, you know, intimidation slash influencing or whatever you want to call it to take the jab is a test run for sending volunteers on behalf of the federal government door-to-door to uh, do surveys on whether or not you have a gun in the home. If you do, how many? If you do, uh, what kind, uh, what caliber, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is, to me, a very, very dangerous tipping point. There is a very dangerous tipping point, rather. And when you hear Joe Biden say, I will continue to push to ban the sale, the sale of 9mm handguns and rifles, then yes, I do think that we, uh, we would certainly be at risk for an outright confiscation, or at least an attempted confiscation, which is exactly why we need to keep adding to what we have. Thank you, my friend, for the call. We'll take a time out here at 10 o'clock for news. We'll come back. We still have a lot to talk about. Claire Lopez brings her knowledge of CRT, critical race theory, to uh, Medina County friends and neighbors tomorrow. She'll join me next on AM 1420 The Answer.